Welcome to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com, Feminist Coffee Hour on iTunes, at femcoffeepod on Twitter, uh, ask at fem slash feminist coffee hour, and you can even email us at feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. So uh, today we're really excited to have someone on um, who I, I went to see at Catland Books, uh, which is an occult bookstore in Brooklyn, which you should check out. Uh, I heard about the event through kind of media group that I follow, Sluttist, and they were doing this like weekend about witchcraft, and um, I had heard about a talk by Jex Blackmore on satanic feminism, and I was super intrigued. So I, I definitely I went out, and I was really, uh, I have a really limited background knowledge of any kind of organized satanism prior to this. And I was really impressed by what I heard. Um, and I was really like, I was expecting to be really skeptical. And, uh, I think I had a lot of like this concept of like, if you don't believe in God, why would you call yourself a Satanist? Uh, and so when I kind of came to hear Jex, I've got a lot more information than that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to kind of, uh, let you, uh, introduce yourself a little bit as well, if you'd like to. Yeah, welcome to the show, Jack. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me uh, on. So uh, I am the, the national spokesperson for the Satanic Temple and director of the Detroit chapter of the temple, which is the first that we established and, uh, and the largest. So that's my role. I'm also a writer and an activist, and so that's somewhat how I got involved with the organization to begin with. So what is the Satanic Temple? Satanic Temple is a non-theistic religious organization. Um, so what that means is that we have all the defining features of a religion and that we have a community, a set of tenets, uh, a shared aesthetic and ritual practice and uh, history, but we, we do not embrace or acknowledge any supernatural elements. Um, so we believe very strongly that um, religion can and um, perhaps even should be divorced from superstition, um, but certainly that that the supernatural beliefs aren't a qualifier for for religion to be um, real or recognized. So, what what are the core tenets or core beliefs of the the Satanic Temple? So, the Satanic Temple believes in um, compassion for living all living creatures. Um, embracing one's individuality, rational thought and critical thinking, and challenging arbitrary authority, um, even at great cost to oneself, um, in order to see justice served. So, uh, you know, we identify with the satanic figure um, as a metaphorical construct, uh, as one that's kind of evolved throughout history and from literature and biblical texts or religious texts. Um, as a as a character that challenges God or or an authority figure uh, to to give justice and free will to humanity, and um, and and historically speaking, people who have been called or labeled satanic are, are people who have challenges challenged this kind of established system or structure, and so that's kind of the lineage that we see ourselves growing out from. So more like the kind of Old Testament literal definition of the term Satan, like one that blocks the path? Right. I mean, I think that the the biblical descriptions of Satan really do come from um, social or cultural references of, of people who 
um, allow themselves to flourish in their own humanity, whether that's um, in, in good or, you know, non-traditional or bad ways. Uh, and I think that those are, are where the stories come from about the satanic figure and uh, a lot of the mythology. Yeah. So um, one of the things that, you know, was kind of my question coming in, and I, I think we kind of are identified as more of an atheist podcast. So considering that most uh, members of the satanic temple are atheists, what is the importance of like, well, I guess you kind of answered that. I guess the symbolism of Satan as opposed to being just a kind of non-religious atheist. Right. Well, many of us, uh, you know, we identified as a Satanist long before the Satanic Temple came into being. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people also um, feel that way as well. Uh, you know, we aren't, um, you know, I like to call myself a non-theist, which uh, is so it's so similar to like the idea of being an atheist. But I do think that there are some differences and in that I do hold true and, and value those elements of um, of the community that this religious organization provides. Um, and I don't think, again, that we have to succumb to these supernatural beliefs. So um, and 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 the Satanic Temple is certainly not for everybody. Uh, there are people that do have an issue with um, claiming that they belong to um, a religious organization. And there are some people who certainly and rightly so would take issue with um, saying that Satanists and atheists are equivalent because they're not. Uh, so I, I think that for us, we are Satanists and we have been Satanists. So that's why the Satanic Temple is right. You know, mm -hmm. um, we, we are not we're, we're not, you know, Member of faction of the ACLU, we're not, um, you know, a United Coalition for um, uh, non-religious America or any of these other various organizations. Um, we are the Satanic Temple. You know, so that's that's where we fit. What's the difference between the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple? I know I, I got them confused. Yes, so the Church of Satan was founded by Anton LaVey, and he wrote the Satanic Bible, which was published in the seventies, and. Uh, and this is another form of non-theistic Satanism or atheistic Satanism. Um, but it, it was uh, very much um, the, the foundational values that they continue to practice and, and, and talk about are, are outdated, I think, in many ways. Um, they do preach an idea of might is right, um, a philosophy of social Darwinism, which I think, um, you know, perhaps makes sense in the period that it was written, um, which is the 60s and, and influence coming from the 50s, certainly isn't, uh, has been discredited now and doesn't have any value. And I think it's actually quite harmful. Uh, so there's a lot of, um, there's also, I, I think, a great deal of, of sexism built into that philosophy of um, the Church of Satan regarding women's roles as being powerful inherently because of their, their sexuality more than anything else. Um, so there's a lot of different things that haven't evolved within that organization. And um, so we kind of see ourselves as uh, an evolution of the kind of the satanic thought that uh, in contemporary culture. So do you think of yourself as an outgrowth of uh, the Church of Satan or of the Satanic Temple as an outgrowth or a kind of different trajectories? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think of us as an outgrowth. Um, I, I would say different trajectory, although we again share some of the same ideas. 
Um, you know, the Church of Satan, when I, when I said I identified as a, a Satanist for, for a long while now, the Church of Satan never um, appealed to me because of some of those kinds of philosophies um, that they continue to, to, to practice and, and teach. Um, you know, I think that I found Satanism appealing once I kind of learned about human history um, and uh, religion in general and, and the kinds of, of practices that are involved involved with um, defining behavior and morals and ethics. And, um, and that brought me to, to Satanism, not the church of Satan itself in any way. So how does your Satanism overlap with or complement your feminism? Yes. Yeah, so I think that Satanism celebrates the individual and it celebrates, um, you know, challenging again, arbitrary tyrannical systems, um, or institutions. And so I think that, uh, that in and of itself falls in line with, um, feminism in many ways, but also I think, um, the term sat- Satanist or sat- Satanic, I think is in line with terms and, and concepts such as the witch or, or, um, witchcraft. And it's still used today to describe, um, women who, or, or individuals or outsiders that kind of challenge established systems or do not fit into um, a normative mode of, of being or behavior. And, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, if in the day, if you had an outspoken woman or a woman with power or wealth, um, that's unusual. They were labeled um, often witch or heretic, um, you know, philosophers and scientists were also suffered from these labels. But even still um, the other day I read, you know, that, Hillary Clinton is a witch, or if you go to Trump rallies, you see these pins that say that Hillary's a witch, um, or that she is of the devil. So these terms still have cultural relevance in kind of evoking um, reactions from the public that you are deemed evil because you don't fit into these molds. And so I think that that's very much where it crosses over into being a feminist um, practice in many ways, because um, instead of allowing people to say, well, if you are a feminist and you're satanic and letting that control you, you're, we are able to use that and use it as a form of empowerment. And then also to, to mobilize people to challenge um, legislative structures as a religious organization um, used on the grounds of being satanic. That's really interesting, given that she's pretty much a mainstream Christian. Right. <laughs> yeah. Saying that. Yeah. But yeah. So do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about your roles as uh, the national spokesperson for the Satanic Temple and the director of the Satanic Temple of Detroit? Sure. Uh, I, as, a, as a national spokesperson, um, I often talk to press in, in about any of our national initiatives. I'm on call to, to do interviews about big projects um, or debates with people who would like to challenge us. Uh, and as a, a chapter head, um, I worked and I have been working on organizing people here in, in Detroit where I live and um, finding projects and ways for us to uh, function as kind of like a satellite of the temple at large to address local issues. Are there local issues in Detroit that, that are coming up? Yes, there are. And it's, I think that Detroit in particular is also very difficult because um, it is a, a city that's challenged in so many ways, and um, we have to strike, I think, a delicate balance of um, addressing some of those things, especially that pertain to um, re- the, the use of religion to limit people's um, f- 
freedoms and, and, um, and rights. And then also acknowledge the fact that um, perhaps we don't want to get in the way of things that are so crucial here also to have, have this a discussion. So I think that um, we have made a decision to focus on statewide issues almost more generally while we still organize people in Detroit. We, we don't want to, um, like every time we're involved in a project, it causes controversy and um, it can be distracting. And it, we certainly saw that play out when we unveiled the monument here, um, which was unfortunate because there was a lot of other things going on that were really important, um, such as the, the water crisis in Flint. And there was uh, water shutoffs here in Detroit and um, so many other important things going on that it, um, we just have to be careful that we don't do a disservice to the city that we live in also, I think. So um, one of the first things that came up when I like looked you up for the first time was this this, uh, this counter protest. This kind of, yes, this counter protest that you did in Detroit uh, involving like fetish fetish fetishism that was like incredible. Mm. <laughs> um, and we'll provide a link to the video of that in the show notes. But um, can you tell me a little bit about what the Satanic Temple is doing to increase access to abortion? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that that was one of um, my favorite, one of my favorite things that we've done so far, um, at least in Detroit. But uh, you know, the Satanic Temple has been very much involved in um, I'm talking about reproductive health access for women because. Um, the, the counter arguments are, are very much rooted in religious um, dogma. And um, we believe that that's unconstitutional and that people's philosophical and religious beliefs regarding, for example, the start of life or the value of um, a woman or motherhood has no place in legislating um, rules about what we're able to do with our own bodies. So um, as a religious organization, I think that we are able to say, um, if your values um, don't fall in line with our own, then we must pass a law that at least is inclusive of everyone. And um, so that we've taken a variety of different approaches to to talking about this issue. One is that we um, have a lawsuit in Missouri. We filed a lawsuit in Missouri on behalf of a woman, um, a member of ours that um, was forced to travel hundreds of miles to her nearest clinic because Missouri only has one abortion in a clinic. And um, they also have the longest waiting period on books. So um, she presented a waiver, um, a, a religious exemption waiver to receiving state mandated um, health materials and then also to the waiting periods. And it was an infringement on her personal religious beliefs as a Satanist. And, um, and that's been batted around in court quite a bit, but I think that it's very valuable and important, at least um, even if we're not successful as a symbol of, of the possibilities um, of using one's deeply held or sincerely held beliefs to advocate for um, protections um, in reproductive rights uh, access uh, in cases of reproductive rights access. Um, but then we've also taken another approach, which is um, political activism and theater um, as a way to uh, g gain national media attention um, and, and provide a forum to discuss some of these issues and, and things that stand in the way or are constantly um, kind of commonplace in, in debates about abortion. So uh, there will, has been a, a national day of protest against Planned Parenthood. It's now an annual thing. Um, but it's by people who still believe that um, the Planned Parenthood videos are, are true and that they um, disassemble 
fetal parts for profit, um, which is absurd. And um, and we really wanted to find ways to kind of meet them at their level because you can't come to a protest and um, expect to have a productive dialogue. I think that that's pretty unrealistic for the environment that you're in. Um, and it's hard to hold up a sign that makes sense, that makes um, a proven point and have it resonate with anybody um, that doesn't already agree with it. So. Um, we, re- we re- what we wanted to do is at least highlight the absurdity of these protests um, and not give them any value um, for what they are. So um, we believe very much that the um, the obsession with the, the, the fetal image um, has been very powerful for the um, anti-abortion campaign and that the um, and the obsession in general is quite a, a form of fetishization of the, the unborn, um, de- it's, it, I mean, I, I believe very much that they deify it almost. So um, we kind of wanted to draw attention to that by doing something equally as absurd by kind of um, playing on the idea of the, the, the fetal image in bondage and the fetishization of that by having kind of these adults dressed as babies um, flogging one another and, and kind of riding around sexually and bringing up the idea. And then we had these signs that said the the future of baby is now to kind of play on the idea that um, when people talk about unborn children, you're talking about this thing that doesn't even exist anymore and that it doesn't actually occupy any real time and space or being. And it's just, and, and we don't even bat an eye on it anymore. We, we, we kind of um, accept that there are children holding these fetal signs crying for this thing that doesn't even actually exist or doesn't represent the thing that they claim it does. So um, that was a tool that we wanted to use to at least um, draw comparisons to the absurdity of their own actions. Did you get any reaction from clinic staff? So are we, we try to, um, we, we understand how controversial that our organization is. So we try to be respectful of Planned Parenthood or other clinics that we may um, protest outside of our counter protest outside of our advocate for, um, so privately, though, I've received many messages from people who work at some of these places um, with support um, and we kind of try to give some people a heads up in advance. So um, officially, there's no connection. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about um, how I would have reacted when I was a clinic escort if I would have saw that. I think I would have been confused at first, but then I probably would have laughed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that a lot of what you have to consider when you do protest work or, or um, uh, political theater is who your audience is and really um, to expect your audience on site to, and we've done some actions that have really been driven at people uh, in person. But I think a lot, what we do understand is that media and press, we're going to get millions of people watching videos online so that able to contextualize those with texts um, or specific links helps is, is really the audience that we're going for. It doesn't really matter to us if people are confused when they see what's going on. We kind of expect, expect that. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the uh, Good News Club counter-programming that the Satanic Temple's involved in? Yeah. Um, so After School Satan is a program that we've developed to provide uh, – um, alternative extracurricular activities for children in elementary schools, in particular children who attend schools that also offer um, after uh, the Good News Clubs, which are these um, evangelical, uh, um, biblical, conservative Christian organization or Christian groups that attempt to um, convert children or to get them to convert classmates. 
um, by pretty aggressive means and, um, and essentially turn schools into mission fields. So um, children do have to receive permission slips to attend by their parents, um, but they are um, they practice song and they eat snacks and do crafts. And then they're rewarded with with candy and um, and other things when they bring other friends who don't go to church. Um, they're they're encouraged to pass a literature in class. And even the people who organize these groups are encouraged to stand outside classrooms that are busy and kind of give out um, pamphlets that are like, come learn about the good news. And I think that that's very misleading. Um, but it is constitutional. So um, we wanted to at least provide a counterpoint to this, um, to these clubs, so that students understand that there is a multiple perspectives to every single issue. And, um, and also that people's, um, that labels such as satanic or Satanism don't always reflect the people that are involved. Um, so, so that the children have an opportunity to be exposed to a variety of different, um, um, ideas and people so they're able to make informed decisions for themselves about things such as um, the possibility of a higher being or the, the, the value of a human based off their um, beliefs and, and things like that. So um, just looking over some of the uh, Satanic Temple's activism, um, I myself am a Unitarian Universalist and there's a discussion going on within my denomination, which I guess when you talk about non-theistic religion, that's kind of an interesting way to put it because some you use are atheists and some of them are not. Um, but before Oberfeld, uh, a lot of you use filed a lawsuit and they tried to make the claim that it was going against their religious freedom to not be allowed to perform a same-sex marriage. And right now in New England, there's um, a lawsuit going on saying um, there's an old church that wants to put up solar panels. And the local zoning board told them no, and they're saying it's against our religious freedom to not protect the environment. But this is very hotly debated because on one hand, people are saying, well, like as Satanic Temple does, turnabout is fair play. If you get to use your religion um, for the law, we should too. But other people say it just lends credence to the idea that religion should have any impact on public policy or that religious beliefs should be in the public square at all. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of the ethics of making the religious freedom argument and whether it does kind of ultimately support what led to Hobby Lobby or not? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, and I hear that debate all the time because of the kinds of things that we do. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that, that uh, religion really shouldn't have any place in public policy decision making or um, the public sphere in impacting other people of the community that have diverse beliefs. Uh, however, that's just not reality uh, at, at the moment. Um, so long, I mean, powerful established religious groups do have um, and have successfully impacted um, legislation, elections. Um, the nomination and placement of judges. Um, and this has been going on for a long time, um, despite the fact that it, I don't think that it's constitutional in many ways. Um, but so, so long as that is the established rule, um, that Hobby Lobby has been, um, the Hobby Lobby decision has been passed, um, religious restoration, um, Freedom and Restoration Act has been, um, established then we we must at least ask for equal representation. I think um, we can't continue to permit one singular view um, be the only one who's able to take advantage of and, and to utilize those laws. Um, and if people have a problem with it, 
um, and take issue, then um, we need to to stop the practice across the board. We can't just say, well, it doesn't apply to the universalist or the Satanist or um, the Buddhist or the um, or, or or whoever. Um, if you want to start granting privileges for people to for employers or corporations to deny health care to their employees based on their religious beliefs. And you're going to have to allow a church to um, put up solar panels because it's vitally important to them to protect the environment. Um, it's kind of, it's all or one. That's just the way it is. And, um, and I know that makes people uncomfortable and it, and it should, um, which is why um, we should demand accountability from our, our, our lawmakers and our courts to, to uphold rules about separation of church and state. I love that answer. That's a great yeah, answer. <laughs> I'm so with you. <laughs> um, so I also I wanted to ask this question, but uh, I was wondering, do you feel like the the symbolic embrace of like um, in the option like the optional embrace of a transgressive outsider that like comes with the identity of a Satanist? Um, do you think that in any way it like reads as diminishing people who have visible transgressive identities? that they can't opt out of, like uh, like a person of color or a trans person who is kind of visibly transitioning in public. Um, I feel like it's kind of a, a delicate balance to take. Um, and so I was curious kind of to hear what the Satanic Temple is, is doing to promote, promote diverse membership and leadership or the, the voices of people with multiple marginalizations. Right. Yeah, um, and that's a very good question, uh, and it's complicated. Is is kind of the answer. Um, we aim very hard to create a space and an organization that's inclusive of everyone, and um, work very hard. Uh, I know, especially like a lot of the community events that we have here, which aren't typically um, announced to a broad public, are. Are, have become and grown to become safe spaces for people who um, definitely fall into these kinds of margins, perhaps um, without choice. Um, but I, I think that what we're trying to do is is advocate for everyone and provide a space and a platform for everyone to advocate for themselves. So that I'm not um, I'm not saying that I speak for somebody, but I'm saying if you want to join our organization and find power in it, that you're able to use this as a platform to speak for yourself. Um, and so it's, um, I think that as Satanists, it's, 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 it's that we feel that we are embracing our outsider status as one that we've already been assigned based off of whatever feature or facet of our lives that that means. And it's different for every person. Um, whether it's again, because, um, you identity or because you're an outspoken female or because you um, are you know a non-biased and a Catholic family or, or whatever that this is a space where you are able to um, proudly claim that and then um, have a back backing and an organization to help advocate for you and your rights on that um, basis. Does that answer, or does that answer your question in some part? Yeah, that's that's a really great answer. And I was wondering if you had any kind of explicit um, programs involved to like promote like people of diverse identities into your leadership. Yeah, well, this is so. This is another kind of tricky issue because we've ne we, one thing that we do not like about religious organizations is their um, 
their interest in investment and recruitment. Um, we feel like that's um, misleading and potentially manipulative of, of people. Um, so we have a, a very much an open door policy. So anybody who wants to join us and at least identifies with our tenants and follows kind of like this code of conduct that we've established is welcome to join. Um, it's difficult to go out and try to say, well, we need um, a specific demographic to fit, to feel um equal or, or to feel diverse enough. Um, and, and it's, it's a problem. Um, it's a problem that I don't know that we have a good answer to or, or solution for. Um, I, I will, and it, and it depends on where you are, where established chapters are, um, at least in terms of, of participation on, on the ground. Um, there are a number of, um, advocacy programs that have been established, um, by other chapters in support of, you know, um, of like um, pride parades and events. Um, there's often like, there's most of us have had a table set up or a booth of information for people who are curious about what we um, do and what we might potentially offer. And um, we have supported uh, um, another, other nonprofits that provide safe um, places or, or resources for um, trans teens and um, and women of color who um, need like sanitary um, napkins and, and tampons and those kinds of things. Um, so we often find ourselves supporting organizations that are doing that kind of work um, just so that we're available and we're there um, without kind of taking over that work for them. You know, that's not really our role. Um, we try to stay focused on what we're able to do as a religious organization that advocates for our members. Did you want to? Oh, no, I, I had written down that Pat Robertson quote, but I think you kind of covered it about, you know, people calling Hillary Clinton a witch when uh, he famously said that the feminist agenda is not about equal rights for women. It's about a socialist anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism and become lesbians. So I was wondering if that was on your agenda also. <laughs> Um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, I mean, like the, the thing that's kind of funny about all of that is, is sometimes those claims are, are true if, if that's the mode of thinking that you've placed yourself within. Um, I mean, if somebody believes that um, uh, uh, women, women having the autonomy and capacity to make decisions about their future and their sexuality and their their the potential for family, and if if that's what you would describe as evil, then I guess that we are evil. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think that those terms are kind of absurd. Um, but it's, it's a little bit of, um, it's like a double-edged sword because, um, you know, I, I don't think that we embody any true evil or, um, attempt to, you know, we're not attempting to destroy and dismantle society. But I, I, I think that perhaps some of the things that we do really do mean that to others who, um, adopt that kind of thinking. So, um, you know, Pat Robertson's one of my favorites. Just, <laughs> uh, I think he does reflect um, an extreme but real uh, um, mode of thinking for a lot of people in America still, unfortunately. I think that's interesting when you said that about how it depends on how you define evil. 
because there was a controversy a couple of years ago about the black mass at Harvard. I can't even remember what group was doing that. And um, a blogger on Pathios, a Catholic blogger, was saying, this is the most disturbing thing I've heard about in a long time. And I'm like, mass shootings and natural disasters aren't <laughs> more disturbing than a bunch of people having a black mass. Like, why does that bug you more than actual problems that hurt real people? And I guess if that's how you define evil as someone, I guess, desecrating your religion to get a rise out of you, then I suppose that's how you would define it. But that's not how I would think about it. Right. Well, I think that it does, um, you know, create the possibility for a lens or a focus for us to see kind of culturally where we're at when we have people making statements and comments like that, um, that someone's expression of, of, of free speech, um, even if it's offensive, is um, the cause for such uproar and disgust when there are so many things that go un, um, unacknowledged that um, I think ethically or morally speaking um, make much more sense across the board. So um, I think it shows that we as a society or a culture have a lot of work to do in certain areas. Just to kind of uh, wrap up, so one of the first things that you find when you search the term satanic feminism on Google uh, is an essay, Satanic Feminism, by Blanche Barton of the Church of Satan. And uh, in it, she writes, uh, satanic women don't want to gain their strength by castrating men. And so my question is, um, what is the point of being a Satanist if you don't get to castrate men to gain their power? <laughs> uh, that's an excellent question. And, and actually... Um, the Malus Maleficarum, which is the, the, the canonical text um, put out by the Catholic Church about witches and how to prosecute witches, it was used in the Salem witch trials. Um, there's so many, there, there are multiple, more than one chapter dedicated to how women um, castrate men and to use their power. Um, and it's funny, and it's funny because Pat Robertson's almost saying the same thing still. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> You know, I think that um, I don't know. I'm. I. I, I think I, <laughs> that essay in particular, I know, begins um, by by saying that um, Blanche knows um, some of the most amazing, powerful women that she knows are all Satanists, not because of what's on the inside, but because of how beautiful on the outside um and it's again like this this return to a focus and attention on um someone's physical appearance as being powerful in this kind of outmoded satanic tradition rather than the capacity for um intellectual thought or, or power in any other capacity at all um but uh yeah i mean i think that um it would be interesting to take a look at the history of uh, of men who have suffered under the the kind of yoke of Satanism throughout history, and women or or people um, of of a minority racial background from whatever period of time or from whatever country, um, and um, or alternative sexuality, and all these different kinds of things that can be, we can break it down into um, to see um, where Satanism um, who's been most impacted by that term, uh, because I, I mean I would. It's interesting that um, still to this day, I think probably because of the perpetuation of the, the satanic ideal and heavy metal music and, and art, that there still tends to be this own men um, of a particular age and um, background tend to claim ownership to this 
so much and be offended when anybody else identifies as well. And that's, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to see play out, but, um, no, I don't think anybody actually wants to castrate, uh, anyone. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Oh, well, that's too bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners? Uh, you know, I think that if anybody is is curious about Satanism or, um, our Satanic philosophy, that I encourage them to read, um, or to the Satanic Temple, Detroit.com. Um, or if they're interested in any of the kind of the look, the artistic, um, philosophy behind our work. I also have a website, jexblackmore.com. And so uh, there's a lot of information there and also people can always write to me. Um, I think it's better that uh, if anyone has questions to go to those sources first um, and stay off the message boards online. Sounds good. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Cherry Pie. And you can find me at uh, Karen. This has been the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, tackling the political rubrus from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. All right, see you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Flavors Feminist Coffee Hour podcast theme song is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth. You can listen to her music at soundcloud.com slash Bridget Ellsworth. And you can listen to her other songs there as well. And if you like what you hear, you can give her a like or even a follow.